0: You're listening to SMUBE Campus Radio, say what you want to say. My name is Faith, and I'll be your host for this episode. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 4 of A Couple With, an alumni-giving podcast series where we'll be hosting special guest alumni for an informal coffee chat. These conversations will take us through their life journeys, their careers, what success means to them, as well as touch on diverse perspectives on creating meaningful impact through their work, projects, or life. In today's episode, we're so happy to be speaking with a pioneering alumnus from the class of 2004, David Isaac Matthews. Currently, he is the Chief Growth Officer of GrowthOps, an advertising services provider. David here could be your go-to person for the growth and strategy of your company, and I hear he's an expert on processes too. So I know you're excited to hear more, so it's time to roll out the red carpet for our guest. Hi David, how are you doing?
1: Good morning. Thank you, Faith, and thank you, SMU, and thanks everybody for tuning in.
0: It's good to hear from you. Now, David, we'll dive right into it, all right? Shall we take a walk down memory lane?
1: Sure, I'm with you.
0: So while you were a student in SMU, you studied business management and eventually majored in finance and marketing. So what's really special about it is that you're actually one of the pioneering alumni at SMU. Looking back, how does it feel to know that you're one of SMU's first graduates?
1: Uh, even back then, it was very interesting. I had been offered a place at the University of South California, and it was a very exciting thing to consider, right? Getting out of Singapore for the first time and then finally thinking, hey, I get to see the States when, you know, uh, I've given up a green card and, and multiple opportunities to, to move. I'm, I am a fifth-generation Singaporean, so my family has been in Singapore continuously since 1850. Getting to see the States would have been very interesting. But I did get accepted to SMU as well, and it was, you know, often regarded as the risk-taker because there were no prior batches, no understanding of what the curriculum would be like in detail. But the promise of an American-style curriculum, you know, even bringing in the SATs in that day, It was great. The experience of starting up a new university has probably allowed me to be more resilient in starting up multiple companies and launching new companies and launching new brands and really appreciating the role of a founder and the role of the founding team. How the culture evolved and how it started, how difficult it was to choose your your subjects. I'm so happy to see so many new schools and so many new interdisciplinary options available to the students. I mean, that was so exciting.
0: That is really insightful, I think. So my next question for you is, what is your advice to students now?
1: It's always a great place to start if you do know what industry or specialization that you're you're looking to do. I started with marketing and then I found that there was a lot more that I wanted to understand to actually be able to do anything. So then I I tried the finance degree and it was, of course, in conflict with me wanting to graduate in three years and just get out into the business world. I was already doing work for Capitaland. I was already doing work for an international car distributor while I was in university. And so, you know, I was really you know, biting at the chump to get out into the real world. You can imagine at the age of 40, it's it's all about growing forward, really. So if you do know what domain you want to go into and it is a very fully developed domain, that's great. If you think that marketing is a very fully developed domain or if you think that product design is a very fully developed domain then i think these are domains that are the least fully fleshed out right now we have so many you know well developed well tested rigorous mutually exclusive collectively exhaustive frameworks in marketing that you can bring to every kind of marketing problem or goal but customer experience which ties together product strategy product management marketing strategy channel management channel optimization channel selection onboarding retention of customers fixing monetization of your of your business you know so many companies are, are not bringing real time analytics to these things there's just so much so like i said if if somebody wants advice on what they should do to help them get to what they want to do when they graduate. The only news I have for you is to be as forward-looking and understanding the dynamics of the marketplace that you are looking at and not just thinking that if you go into banking, you're just going to need you know a set of core functional skills. There's going to be a lot. There's going to be a need to understand customer behavior and behavioral psychology. So there's, I mean, it's an exciting world, guys. Uh, just be exposed. Keep your eyes open and um, you'll do fine.
0: That is definitely really important insight, I think, to look forward and to keep your eyes open and to stay curious, I suppose.
1: Yeah, it'd be great to you know fully understand what a growth mindset is and, and being curious and how that applies.
0: Thank you so much for that. I think I've learned a lot even just from hearing that answer alone. I'm definitely going to take a lot of that advice. So let's take a look now at your professional journey. And in your career so far, what would you say have been your biggest highlights?
1: well, my biggest highlights, and then looking at my professional journey, it is, you know, a little bit longer than what you guys are thinking about. I guess when you guys get to the point where you're 40 and you're looking back, you're like, oh, 20 or 30 wasn't so old. And the journey is really a good way of looking at it. There were so many times when I spoke to recruiters or headhunters and they said, you've got so much consulting experience, I don't think you're a suit for for corporate roles. And then, you know, at other points in my life, They said the exact opposite. Well, guess what? I've done both. And in the domain that I do, a lot of what I champion is actually the de-siloing of product and marketing and strategy and sales and and customer experience and and actually now legal has a really big element of what we're doing to drive growth. Some of the highlights are the times when I was able to de-silo for a client or for my own organization. And some of the highlights have been able to bring the insights from lean and agile small companies, the the rigor of analysis from management consulting, the data-driven decision-making from large companies to companies that, you know, maybe are SMEs or companies that are new product launches, corporate ventures from large companies, really trying to do things differently. I think one of the other highlights that really encapsulates a lot of things was that in one of my previous roles the first 18 months of my job were actually explaining to the industries and different industry verticals and clients that disruption actually was real and that digital transformation was a great tool and then you know at some point it became innovation or entrepreneurship you know i had a small exit and i was desperately searching for a program that had the words technopreneurship or entrepreneurship it was incredibly difficult so we've really come a long way in defining this this role of of growth, and uh, you know, having played a part in some significant companies and exciting companies, getting them to the next level of their journey has been, I think, some you know, real great milestones that really keep me energized.
0: That is quite a journey that you've really had quite a history, and to hear how you've actually gone forward and desiloed these teams is actually. It's fascinating, I suppose, because I think when people specialise, sometimes they get really caught up in it, but being able to learn what everyone else does and being able to kind of cover for each other, that's really important. And I'm really glad, I guess, to hear that like it's working in the real world. So, you're working right now at GrowthOps as their chief growth officer. Could you share what GrowthOps does as a company and what your role is?
1: GrowthOps is a very exciting company that's really fit for purpose in the current era, so... Its history dates back to acquiring and listing 11 companies. Now 13 companies have been um, acquired and integrated. GrowthOps means supporting client growth. And so we do a range of things that provide solutions to the problems that companies face as they build, launch, and grow different parts of their business, whether those are new products, new sub-brands, or existing products and going digital. So at GrowthOps, what we really try to do is to support clients in different ways.
0: And what do you feel that you do within GrowthOps?
1: So describing the role is a mix of developing new IP, new ways of actually process tising, what has long been artistry and making it replicable for a larger set of clients. So at GrowthOps, what I try to do externally for clients is to make a systematic and reliable process for creating the outcomes that we want. There are a lot of options in how you go forward and how do you become data-driven and helping clients become data-driven because it's something that everybody wants. So I write some IP, I work on some very strategic client projects, and I also um, help with business development and sales uh, for the company. So we've launched. Two venture built startups for MBBs like McKinsey, Bain, BCG type companies. We've done a range of things like acquiring their first 45,000 customers, but also building the technology backends for other companies to launch new parts of the business. So, very complex technology backend built as well that we do in house for some of Singapore's favorite brands, actually. I'm very happy to say.
0: Exciting. And I suppose this means that you're kind of the person responsible for as they say, getting things down to a science, so to speak.
1: That is actually a part of the role that I carved out for myself. Oh, wow. I think that in a lot of agencies and consultancies, it is very admirable that we go back to first principles of growth. But sometimes that doesn't happen. I think that process-tization of growth is something, again, you know, I'm working very hard to process-tize in the industry with thought leadership, and it's probably the subject of two different books that I'm working on. But if you take a step back and you look at how companies grow, you need to figure out how much data they have to work with, whether they have product market fit, and whether you can build in the other three types of fit, which a lot of people don't talk about.
0: I think that might actually help us segue into this next question, because we heard that you were actually able to lead one of the highest revenue velocity projects in the Asia-Pacific business for GrowthOps. So not only that, you actually achieved this during the height of the pandemic. So that's really impressive. What were some key principles which you put in place to make this happen?
1: Joining Growth Ops and sending everybody to work from home four days after I took over as Singapore general manager was very difficult. And the experience, because we did a, a weekly culture survey, the experience was very different from people you know who were single and living at home with parents versus those who were single and living at home alone versus those who had children. And it was really challenging to do that across Southeast Asia, even for the Singapore office. You know, I think this success of, of putting together a project that really brought together four completely different teams within Growth Ops at a strategy level instead of an execution level, that was really going back to first principles, really speaking to the client and saying, I'd like to help you achieve what you would like to do. And in a very deeply consultative way, winning this global pitch and helping them craft a better brief so that we could do better work and actually get the result that they wanted. I think that was pulling a lot of things together in a very short time and um, getting the kind of thanks from the client that means that they were genuinely satisfied and genuinely had their expectations um, exceeded, that was you know, very validating for us.
0: It sounds like you really had to pull a lot of strings to get to this point. So apart from your job at GrowthOps, we also know that you've been mentoring other companies and startups on innovation. And we also know this is something that a lot of organizations actually embrace in our current world. So what do you think makes an organization truly innovative, and what can organizations do to nurture a culture that supports innovation?
1: In one of my previous roles, we actually did a Southeast Asia-wide quantitative study on what factors have led to unicorn and decacorn formation. And it is quite interesting to try to find correlation. And of course, it's even more interesting to try to find causality. And at the strategy development phase, deciding of all the great ideas that we have at the C-suite and at the board level, which do we prioritize? In what sequence do we roll them out? What are the dependencies we have for success? And then from there, figuring out how to actually bring multiple teams in, having something that is quite well understood but very hard to put into practice, which is a north star metric. There are just so many factors that make it quite challenging to actually deliver innovation.
0: So perhaps you would say it's not so much a one-size-fits-all type solution, but that having a diversity of ideas, I suppose would really help a company to have more of a culture of innovation, you would say?
1: And not being a consultant and just stopping at saying, oh, well, the answer depends. If you take a step back, it's all about looking at a customer experience, understanding where what you've built, which is your hypothesis, where it's doing well and not doing well, and understanding why there are frictions. But how do we find ways to unblock that, reduce the pain, reduce the friction? Those are how companies grow.
0: So... I also read that you actually formerly worked as an ASEAN innovation co-lead at EY Pathnam, which is Ernst & Young's global strategy consulting arm, which is where you actually led some venture building from ideation to launch. So we're quite curious, what would you say are your top tips for effective ideation that would effectively translate into real results?
1: yeah i think it really depends on where the company is so we were very good at identifying high growth digital first companies for our large mnc clients and i was brought in to be uh, employee number one for digital which was not just digital transformation it also included acquisition valuing startups commercial due diligence work helping clients both assign the right value for the acquisition as well as understanding whether the business model is going to work. And I've learned a lot from lean and agile uh, startups and business launching that I've been doing with um, multiple universities now since 2014, helping, you know, deep technology startups, helping product startups build business models, as well as as go to market and redefine their strategy. And it turns out that there's a lot of transferable skills that each can learn from each other. And um, I think that's the start of, you know, translating into reliable result
0: it definitely is really important I think to be able to kind of like look at the sustainability and the success of companies and how that comes about and so it's it's really cool that you actually kind of have more of a deeper insight into it than a lot of people
1: there's something that I wish we had more of um, and every country probably does and that is more serial founders because there is a lot that we learn in doing this a second or a third time and what Singapore is doing is so progressive. We're bringing mentors and commercial champions from industry, from different verticals, and you know, encouraging these experienced individuals to support the startups at the postgraduate level, at the patents level, you know, at the incubator and accelerator level. And it's going to be really important for taking care of our planet, taking care of our economies, taking care of, of insights into how we train our students.
0: So David, we've covered your professional life so far, and now we'd like to look at your corporate giving life. We know that you've actually passionately contributed to the SMU Alumni Infinity Fund. And we'd like to ask, were there any relevant experiences at SMU during your undergraduate years that inspired you to do this?
1: That's an interesting question. So when we were in SMU, I do not think that there were as many bursaries and scholarship programs available for us at the undergraduate level and when i found out that smu actually sponsors a significant proportion of the current uh, student cohort get some kind of subsidy that's very inspiring and that means that you know we can truly be a society that enables people to fulfill their potential it's just amazing that we enable people from every walk of life And it's a great thing to see being done in such an innovative way. It's innovative enough that I find it particularly uh, brilliant. So I had to take part.
0: Earlier, you said that investing in the future of our youth is also the key to business and societal growth. So aside from providing mentorship and professional opportunities to youth, what are other ways that you think that young people today can be supported?
1: There's a lot of support that is out there, and it can be overwhelming to look for the kind of support that you need but it can be found and trying to find something in singapore being a part of a community is really important and if not be the change you want to see in the world like um i i kick-started a charitable non-profit volunteer group called repc.org. and what we do is that we identified the huge amount of wastage in companies that are burning and destroying laptops when they you know hit three or four years old and then the ethnographic study that we did in a very cool initiative once uh, called Under the Hood, spending 72 hours doing a hackathon in the one-room HDB estates of Singapore, and trying to understand how we can address cyclical poverty.
0: There are really so many causes out there, so it's really cool that you've actually started this initiative to do that. Now I guess I wonder also, how might youth be groomed to address these issues as future changemakers?
1: Not everybody needs to be a change maker. Not everybody needs to be a founder. You just have to be an enabler to help people find their aptitude and their interest and align incentives societally so that we don't have as many gaps in our future workforce. That would be ideal. And I guess that's something that governments around the world think about. There's just so many ways that you can actually learn about the world outside the university and and figure out how you want to participate in your environment.
0: So it sounds like there's actually a lot of building for the future going on for you personally where do you think the market is going to go
1: yeah i think building for the future versus building for the present both are equally important we have to balance that and i think a lot of companies do face the challenge of distributing their resources in terms of time and funding and their manpower one of the coolest quotes is that innovation is a resource allocation problem so it's really understanding what are the gaps that you want to address you deciding how meaningful they are and then you know uh, government private public academic social all these things coming together to sort of allocate that way
0: that's really heartening to hear i think we know that things are very volatile but knowing that we're always going to be supported i think is it's just very reassuring to hear So, we know that you've been actively participating in volunteer work, either as a donor, a speaker, a mentor, or a co-trustee of a charitable institution. With education at SMU being one of the causes that you support, what is your philanthropic vision for your fellow alumni?
1: I think philanthropy, in terms of your time and experience, it's about finding things that you're passionate about. And everybody has a different way of, of being part of society, and I think that's something that you choose for yourself. I like to participate at the biggest scale of impact that I can have and at the same time on a one-to-one mentoring a startup on an individual level is equally meaningful to me and I love teaching. It's, it's all fun for me and everybody can find something that's fun for them.
0: I feel like throughout this conversation if there's one thing that I've really noticed it's that you are actually very fond of teaching. So. Where did you get your love for teaching from?
1: I think there is something that they said about Steve Jobs, where he had an ability to bring people along on a journey. And my way of bringing people along is helping size the problem and helping prioritize what we want to do and how we're going to do it and and hoping that people feel as aligned with me. I guess there is an educational element of bringing a team together with you. And that's, I guess, my style in running a team.
0: So in a way, I suppose you've brought us all on your journey today.
1: Thank you for for having me here. It's
0: been a lot of fun. Well, thank you so much for gracing us with your presence and insight. I feel that I've learned a lot, and I know that our listeners will learn a lot as well listening to this. We really enjoyed having you in our studio today, and I can't wait to see what you'll do next.
1: It's a pleasure. Thanks, everybody on the team, everybody in this room, and thanks to SMU and and uh, the work that they're doing with the Alumni Infinity Fund and educating my own peers and future generations of Singaporeans. It's, it's great to be a part of great things happening.
0: Thank you so much, David. Once again, my name is Faith from SMUBE Campus Radio. Say what you want to say. Be sure to check out all of SMUBE's and David Isaac's social media platforms to stay updated with the latest news from us both. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of A Couple With. Take care, stay safe. And we'll see you soon. Hey, y'all. Thanks for listening to this episode of A Couple With. If you're interested in creating impact and giving back, head over to at SMU Alumni Giving on Facebook and follow our Instagram page at SMUBE for more news on SMUBE Campus Radio. Till next time.